August 2019, a funeral unfolds beneath wet wool clouds and a chafing wind on Iceland's western coast. The mourners, government officials and fishermen, shepherds and students, cluster around the base of a colossal deathbed. Frigid gusts snatch the prime minister's eulogy right off her tongue. Finally, the funeral procession trudges up a scaly slope, once the throne of the deceased. They plant a headstone, inscribed with a message to future wanderers. The plaque declares, Auk is the first Icelandic glacier to lose its status as a glacier. In the next 200 years, all our glaciers are expected to follow the same path. This monument is to acknowledge that we know what is happening and what needs to be done. Only you know if we did it. The mourners begin the clambering descent back to sea level. Will it all be downhill from here? Brimming with the watery remains of the former glacier, the sea rises ever so slightly higher to meet them. The Octrical Glacier was the first casualty of climate change in Iceland, but three years post-funeral, the rest of Iceland's glaciers continue to recede at heart-stopping rates. In Vatnajökull National Park, I had the opportunity to scale a surviving glacier. Our guide, Alex, an American expat, tells us that the glaciers found within a mere 56-mile slice of Vatnajökull National Park have lost 20% of their volume, equivalent to the area of Reykjavik, Iceland's capital city. This is the same as 14 billion truckloads of ice, or a 0.3-millimeter rise in sea level. Our ice axes clanged against the glacier and reverberated between the crevices like the sound of dozens of death bells for warning us of impending glacial extinction. Spikes on our shoes claw at the glacier as we hike upward. I begin to understand the profound emotional connection that Icelanders feel to these snowy formations. Up here, I almost feel consumed by the glacier. Crevasses, like an icy ribcage, splay apart from either side of the narrow ridge we climb. The glacier itself is milky white, streaked with electric blue, like a marbled slab of meat. The higher we trek, the more I notice the glacier's strangely corporeal presence. Our guide gestures to ice that appears to flow down from the top of the glacier. You, know, you can imagine a glacier is kind of like a, just a frozen river. So this, instead of being a waterfall, is an ice fall. It takes around 10 years for snow to transform into glacier here. Each new snowfall compresses the previous layer of ice until... You get this just large mass of ice that then kind of oozes down into the valleys like a kind of dough or like uh, molten metal um, and it just pushes down um, and when it's pushing down it's digging into the earth um, pretty aggressively um, as you kind of take a look around you you can actually see the evidence of the power of the glacier when it came down here initially um, all of this torn up earth rocks boulders everywhere and also uh, the biggest evidence is this large lagoon here um, this is the scar of the glacier that has, as the glaciers retreated, it has filled in the scar with this large lagoon. A, a happy and healthy glacier should not actually have 
this lagoon in front of it. What will occur is throughout the winter, there will be some advance of the glacier. And then in the summers, it will retreat back. Whereas now, over roughly the last 20 to 30 years, there's been only retreat of the glaciers um, around Iceland. And that, of course, is due to the warming of our planet. According to Alex, some Icelandic glaciers retreated a quarter of a mile last year. I asked our guide if Iceland had implemented regulations to slow the melting of the glaciers. He replied that the small island nation is doing practically everything they can to mitigate the effects of climate change, but after all, there are only... 330,000 people living in the country, so they're depending on other nations to do their part, too. Wedged in an active volcanic zone, swathed by glaciers, stitched with rivers, surrounded by sea and scrubbed by wind, it's not surprising that Iceland is powered by nearly 100% renewable energy. The country's commitment to sustainable energy unfolds like a futuristic utopia in reality. On hikes, we were accompanied by snaking geothermal pipes that help heat homes all over the island. According to the UN, 9 out of every 10 Icelandic residences are warmed by geothermal energy. Towns are studded with greenhouses, inside of which gleam some of the most succulent and vibrant produce I've ever tasted. Hydrothermal power drives the rest of Iceland's factories and homes, along with the fish farms that deliver a main staple of Icelanders' seafood-based diets. Up until the 1970s, Iceland was still labeled as a developing country and utterly dependent on fossil fuels. Their transition to renewable energy began with grassroots efforts and some farmers fed up with volatile oil prices. In the early 1900s, a farmer rigged up a basic geothermal heating system that harnessed the hot water seeping out of his ground. Other municipalities followed suit, developing more and more advanced hydroelectric and geothermal systems to power their homes and farms. The government even incentivized research and experimentation and refunded unsuccessful projects. Today, Iceland is a role model for nations around the world looking to transition to 100% renewable energy. Glaciers and, well, ice are central to many Icelanders' identities. When I asked our tour guide if there were climate change deniers in Iceland, he replied that it wasn't really an issue there. Icelanders are up close and personal with the effects of climate change. They can see the glaciers melting right outside their windows. Farmers experience firsthand the impact of floods and unseasonable weather. Fishermen can no longer navigate their boats close to the shores because the shores themselves are rising. Yes, you heard me right. As glaciers melt and run into the sea, the land lifts upward without the icy weight. Now, harbors are too shallow to pass through. According to one qualitative study, the demand for blue paint in Iceland is so high that artists are forced to ship it in from England because the landscape that used to be snowy white is now flooded with blue. 
On the other hand, some Icelanders are relishing what is referred to with tongue-in-cheek as last-chance tourism. Tourism companies are flourishing as visitors flock to experience the glaciers before they disappear. New opportunities for kayaking and snorkeling companies are cropping up as glacial lagoons are created where they didn't exist before. As my glacier hiking guide described it, this tourism boom is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it invigorates the Icelandic economy, allows visitors to see the effects of climate change firsthand, and heightens appreciation for Iceland's outdoor recreation areas. On the other hand, we've seen parks in the United States waste away as they grow overrun by destructive tourists. Is there a point of diminishing returns for ecotourism in Iceland as well? I worried that by scaling up this glacier, hacking it with my ice pick, and grading it with my spiky shoes, I was one of thousands of daily tourists hastening its slow death. But our guide assured me that the damage us hikers do to the massive glacier is negligible. Climate change is the predominant risk. National parks across Iceland team with hikers like my family and I, determined to trek through landscapes sculpted over millions of years, scared that they will be wiped away in a comparative split second. But a young ranger I interviewed in Snæfell's Jökull National Park told me that while climate change is undeniably happening, he doesn't see the impacts on the national park's flora and fauna or even on the tourism and fishing industries taking place right before his eyes. Uh, so my name is Sturklaje Jonsson uh, and I'm a ranger in the Sniper's National Park. Uh, and I'm 19 years old and I'm one of two youngest rangers in Iceland. So yeah. Awesome. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about the impact that climate change is having both on the environment here and maybe the people who live here as well? So the main impact we can see is that the glacier is melting quite fast uh, and we predict that it will be completely well it won't be considered a glacier in 40-ish years uh, and that of course has had a lot of impact on the people here because we're used to it being quite a bit larger about 20 square kilometers uh, so yeah that's that's the main thing we can notice and also weather it's been this winter for example very bad we have never had such bad weather here in this area which is quite strange to say strange to say because we have quite bad weather here uh, but yeah it was very bad this winter is it affecting like tourism or fishing or any of the animals not really, not so we notice right at the moment. Uh, we do have some invasive plants, especially in the park, uh, Alaskan lupine, for example, uh, which we are worried about taking over large areas of land. Um, but otherwise, nothing we have noticed yet. Uh, there is a problem at the moment, though. Uh, we had quite a big outbreak of bird flu, uh, which killed quite a lot of seabirds, which we could notice quite well in this area. Uh, and that, of course, had an effect on, you know, the foxes and other predators uh, as they, you know, got sick when they ate the dead flesh. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. No problem. Some people 
here in the United States feel disconnected from climate tragedies like melting glaciers and flooding lagoons taking place across the globe from where they live. But left unfettered, the ripples of climate change today will gather the momentum of the tsunamis that ravage our society 200 years from now. Even the smallest actions have an impact that span the dimensions of space and time. Therefore, collective sustainability efforts here can snowball into change-making movements everywhere. Mitigating emissions wherever you live can ever so slightly reduce impacts on glaciers near the Arctic Circle. And if the difference seems negligible, just remember that 14 billion truckloads of ice that bled off the Vatnajökull glaciers only raised the sea level by 0.3 millimeters. Remember that a mere 2 degrees Celsius increase in global temperature is a death sentence for nearly every glacier in Iceland. We're talking small numbers, big impacts. What if small efforts lead to big impacts? Climate change is a global crisis, which also means it's a global fight. So no matter where you are in the world, you can be mindful of the impact of your actions on the climate. As the gravestone of Iceland's first glacial ghost warns, visitors 200 years from now will reap the consequences of our treatment of the earth today. Taking the initiative to preserve the Earth is how we can pay our respects to Iceland's first extinct glacier. May she rest in peace.